Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attacked those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast for us, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. And uh, as you see by the title, we are back into Calvinism. And so this is... Uh, uh, part two of point two. We have that, and I have my son Jonathan back with us. So uh, uh, glad you're here. We missed you. We've had people that have been messaging and saying, hey, when's the next lesson of Calvinism coming? So it's been a while. Jonathan's been out, been busy. What did you have, a 30-day sentence in jail you had to do and uh, just finally got that done? What what was it? Well, well, yeah. I, the thing is, I didn't know that that was in the eggnog, so it's not really my fault. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Okay, got it. So, uh, um, and you've been in Pennsylvania and around and back and other Christmas things. And so, uh, uh, glad you're back. And so, look forward to this. We're going to jump right in. Our review for today is going to be go back and listen to the other lesson if you need to. Okay, uh, we're not going to take the time. We don't want this to be extra long with all of that. The other one is there. And so, uh, and many times with these issues, you really will need to go back and listen to them again. There's a lot in here, and uh, you'll tell by Jonathan there's a lot of time put into going through all of these um, because we can, and we did the first time, if you shoot a hole in the doctrine that they're teaching, there's a hole in it. It's not sound doctrine, so you discount it, okay? And so that's all that you need. But there are people that are steeped in this. There are people that are lost in this. There are people that have taken this, uh, um, you know, this uh, full stock and, and, and it messes them up. And so they may need some help to be able to come out. How do I explain this? How do I explain this to be able to do that? So this uh, point two, of course, is this unconditional election. And uh, as R.C. Scroll likes to say, uh, it sounds better, sovereign election, because unconditional means you don't have any choice. There's nothing you can do about it at all. But when you say it's sovereign, that sounds better, but it still means <laughs> the same thing, okay? Uh, this is God just picking and choosing this person for heaven and this person for hell. Nobody likes this. By the way, R.C. Scroll didn't like it. When he taught it, his students didn't like it. And most people, when they're coming into this, they just finally have to submit to this point, go, okay, I guess that's just what God does. Um, 
But please understand, that is going against the Holy Spirit of God that's in your heart. That's going against the Word of God. That's going against justice. That's going against uh, God being fair, and he's God, so God can do whatever God wants to do. But listen, God does in the framework of his Word and in the framework of justice. That's how God works, and so uh, it is this way. So I'm going to cover uh, a verse that... um, has been out there, and the first time I heard a Calvinist talk about this, in your mind, if that's all you did was just take this one verse, you're like, that's it, that's it. And by the way, I've listened to a bunch of people who became Calvinists, and that's the way it is. They hear one verse, it's not explained right in context, and next thing you know, boom, they just surrendered to it. They gave into it, and now they just absorbed all the other things, even if it doesn't make sense. Uh, the guy in John 6 that said, well, like Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. There it is, I'm Calvinist. <laughs> wait, 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 keep reading. Uh, John 12, God said he would draw all men unto him by him dying on the cross, And wow, what an amazing thing that would be. So let me read the verse and I'll explain what happens with it and then try to go through it some and and let Jonathan add to it. So it's Acts 13, 48, Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And that one phrase is what we do. As many as were ordained to eternal life believe. That's it. God ordained some to eternal life, and they're the ones that believe because they were the only ones that were ordained. And there it is. We've got it. It's amazing how shallow we are when it comes to the Bible and taking a verse. And I want to jump out of this to show you an illustration of what people do and then go back and explain this, okay? Acts 2.38, just last, well, two weeks ago, my son was home from college, a lady he was witness to, we went to talk to her again. And Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38, and uh, that is what Church of Christ and Pentecostal Many people believe that is the key to the whole salvation. Acts 2, 3, 8. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So that is the verse they use. See, there it is. That's how you get remission of sins. You have to be baptized, okay? And that's how they pronounce it. They have to be baptized. And so I asked this lady. She knew Acts 2, 38. And I asked her this question. I said, Acts 2, 38 is the answer to a question. What is a question? Oh, the question is, what must I do to be saved? I said, no, it's not. There's only one time in the Bible that the question is asked, what must I do to be saved? That's Acts 16, verse 30. And the answer is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That's the answer. Nothing about baptism. They have a wrong understanding of what it's talking about, so they get a wrong answer because they already have it, listen carefully, predisposed. They have predisposed thinking that the question they're answering is what must I do to be saved? It isn't what must I do to be saved. Now, I've taught on this in another podcast. You can go back and baptism is essential for salvation. But just to show you this, the question that they're asking, it says, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, that's what they meant. No, that's not what they meant. How do you know? Acts 2, verse 21, and it says, and it shall come to pass, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They weren't asking what must I do to be saved. They already knew how to be saved because verse 21 told them all they had to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to call upon the Lord and they would be saved. Now that I know how to be saved by trusting in only Jesus, now what do I do? Now you need to be baptized because your sins are already forgiven. And that preposition can mean in order to or because of. I go to jail for a crime. I'm going to get 
to jail in order to commit a crime or because I already did commit a crime. I'm baptized because my sins are already forgiven. I'm not going to go through that whole thing. That's in another podcast. But that's what people do. They take that one verse or part of the verse, or it is baptized for the remission of sins, and they don't even understand what that's talking about. They haven't compared Scripture to Scripture. They don't understand the flow of what's happening. That's the same thing that happens in Acts chapter 13. They take this last part of the verse, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. Now, what they do also is they predispose, okay? Predispose. What does that mean? They put things in there that are already there. You look at um, uh, some kind of uh, flour, you know, it's enriched, or this flour already has in it yeast, or, and it's predisposed. It has things in it that's already there that they're going to need for later on. And the same thing here, people put in things that are not there. And here I'm going to read it with that predisposition in there, okay? Um, so Acts uh, 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many as were unconditionally ordained by God before the foundation of the world to eternal life believed. That's what they do because you cannot get it any other way. They have to add in by God. By the way, ordained, I did a whole bunch of study on this. Not a long time to go into it. Ordained simply means appointed, instituted, or established. It's instituted. It's established. Uh, it's appointed. By the way, can we ordain things? Okay. Um, go to a study of ordained. It's amazing how many times man ordained. And Jeroboam ordained a feast. He appointed he instituted, okay? He ordained a feast. So many times in the Bible, men are the ones that are ordaining. But we can't do that because ordained in the Calvinist mind, God did that. And when did God do that? Before the foundation of the world. It doesn't say that, but that's what we have to do. God picked them out, which ones were going to be ordained before the foundation of the world, and God did that, and he already presupposed all that in there. So that's how we read that. If we don't presuppose and put all that in there, then we are never going to come up with that. And that's the same thing when you read Acts talk about tongues. We predispose that as a, a static utterance language, and we don't know what it's saying. And you don't get that if you read the whole context of tongues in there. And I've done podcasts on that uh, to answer that. Same thing here. We predispose, we put in what we need to, to make it fit with our doctrine, and that's not it. And the simplicity of that is this, and I would encourage you to go back and read it. The simplicity of it is that God came to the Jews. The Jews rejected Jesus. Because the Jews rejected Jesus, then um, Paul said, I'm going to the Gentiles, and now the Gentiles were ones that now they can appoint or establish or accept Jesus as their Savior themselves. Unless you see God appointed them. In the Bible, when you go through, and I did a whole bunch of study, you can look at all these verses, unless you see God saying God ordained them, then many times it's man ordaining, or most of the time it's man ordaining them. Um, uh, Habakkuk 1, 2, O God, thou hast ordained them for judgment. Um, Romans 13, the powers that be are ordained of God. First uh, uh, Corinthians 2, 1, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Ephesians 2, 10, God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. When it's God, it says God ordained, God established, God appointed, God is the one that set this up. When it's not God, then it's us. So here, listen very carefully, these Gentiles now, they were excited, they were so glad the word of God is now coming to them, and they had a choice, and they could accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They wanted eternal life. The Jews didn't want it. In fact, uh, let me read... Um, 
um, how it says uh, uh, that they said this in Acts um, 13, verse 50. But the Jews, this is right after those verses, but the Jews stirred up devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. What happened was this, the Jews didn't want it. They rejected Jesus. So Paul said, I go to the Gentiles. They did not want it. That's what happened. So the Jews now, they're excited of the word of the Lord. They realized, okay, God is going to take this now to a strange people in strange utterance. This is prophesied in the Old Testament. Testament, the Jews would know that God was done with them when these people have a strange voice. They're the ones now preaching the word of God. And that's what just happened. Paul hated it. He wanted the Jews. He would have plucked out his own eyes for them. He did want to do everything he could that his people would accept Jesus as Messiah, but they would not. That's what's happening here. And I encourage you to go read the whole passage of Acts 13 and see, huh, that's what happened. The Jews rejected it. Paul went to the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles are accepting Jesus as their Savior. There's the ones that are getting saved. And you cannot presuppose all the things in there. It was by God ordaining them before the foundation of the world. You can't presuppose that. You can't add to Scripture and still have Scripture and know what it's supposed to be. So a brief summary of that. Jonathan, anything you want to add, uh, add into Romans, or sorry, Acts 13? Yeah, it's, it, it is just neat to see it's, it's just prophecies being carried out, and they did understand it, and they didn't, uh, the Jews didn't like it um, to see it happen, and, and like you said, as, as or ordained by who and, and what, yeah, understanding the, this verse here. It's, uh, if you take this one verse as an outlier and define the whole Bible by a misunderstanding of this verse, of course you'll come up with the, with the misunderstanding of it, but you don't. You don't take one verse and then try to fit the rest of the Bible to that verse. You, If you come across a verse that seems like an outlier, okay, compare it with other scripture, and oh, I understand, it fits in here, and that's how it fits. Yeah. Let me read just a little bit. Um, uh, like I said, I encourage you to go read that for yourself. When you now understand the context, Acts 16, 42, okay? And the Jews, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath, okay? The Gentiles want this. They're asking for this. They're ready for this. Um, now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes who followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost a whole city together to hear the word of God. Here it is. All right, we're going to get it. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it is necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, the Jews, but seeing you put it from you, your choice, Okay, you had a choice. Why in the world would he go to them if they didn't have a choice to accept it? He came to them, but seeing you would put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. They didn't accept it. They didn't want it. They counted themselves unworthy. Okay, they did that. For lo, excuse me, for so hath um, the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light unto the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many of those Gentiles, okay, that's the context here, were ordained, they accepted, appointed, established, didn't say God did that, to eternal life believed, okay? 
Very simple, very beautiful, a great passage. But again, when you go back and read the scripture in the context, you can't have any debate about it. Uh, John, I was talking to a pastor one day of a different uh, group, and uh, we were talking about eternal security, and uh, and um, and I was telling about Jesus, and we're eternal secure, and he said, well, the Bible says um, you know, they fell from grace. Okay, I was teaching them salvation by grace or faith. The Bible said they fell from grace. I said, okay. I said, and it was a good conversation. It was kind. But I said, honestly, be honest with me. I said, have you ever studied that for yourself? Or is that just something you've heard preached? He said, yeah, I just heard it preached. Do you know where it's found out in the Bible? No, I don't. Let me show you. So I took him to Galatians and showed him how context he wrote to the churches of Galatia. And the churches stopped teaching salvation by grace through faith. And the churches were the ones that fell from grace. He goes, oh, wow. And I said to him, go read that whole passage and let's talk again. And he did. And he came back, exactly right. And he was all excited because man, the Jews were saying you had to be circumcised and keep the law to go to heaven. And Jesus said, Christ become of no effect unto you. Who's here just by the law? Um, and, and you've fallen from grace. Exactly. You take that one phrase, you fell from grace. Uh-oh, we can fall from grace. Who can fall from grace? The churches. Who was ordained here? The Gentiles were the ones that were ordained. And they knew that. And it was prophesied about that. The Jews rejected it. The Gentiles were ordained that they were going to be the ones and Paul was going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. What a beautiful thing. What a sweet thing, but it has nothing to do with it being a Calvinist verse to say only the ones that could uh, believe were the ones that were ordained by God before the foundation of the world. You presuppose so many false things in your mind to get to that. And um, that's how heresy is. It is not sound doctrine. So... Awesome. All right. So hopefully we, uh, again, there's a lot on that. Wanted to give it in a short time because Jonathan has a lot more to talk about. So Ephesians chapter one is one of their big passages and it's not just part of a verse. It is the whole context here. And it has all the buzzwords of foreign and predestination, like, oh, this is it. We got you now. The same thing. If you understand what it's talking about and who it's talking to, you're not going to have that same thing. So Jonathan, take off. All right. So, I mean, all of that, what you just said is, is perfect. It is simple, basic hermeneutics. That's, it's taking the Bible and understanding uh, who, who is talking, who is talking to, what they're talking about. But, and, and hermeneutics is understanding the point behind it, right? Like they're just not writing stuff down at random. They're, he's writing something with a direction and a point to it, right? This, this is got a point to it. So we're not just going to assume the point four or five verses in. We got to look at the beginning and where it starts out. So Ephesians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, first I want to start, well, pause right here at this first part. It says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Does God ever appoint people to positions? He as a saved person, he was appointed by the will of God. God often has personal callings on our lives, the same as you at, were called at one point in your life to go preach, and you fought that. Like Paul fought it too. How long will you kick against the pricks? But he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He was appointed to that. To the saints which are at Ephesus and and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. So first off, who is it talking to, or who's talking? It's Paul writing this letter, and, and it's to the saints at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. And the faithful in Jesus Christ, meaning what? The f- ones who have placed their faith in Jesus. Amen. 
Verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, us being who? The ones who are faithful in Jesus Christ, the ones who have faith in Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So, it's over and over again, it's the ones who are in Christ, and he's talking about the spiritual blessings in how they've been blessed. Verse 4, and here's where we get into where the Calvinists want to take off with this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So there it is. He chose us before the foundation of the world. But hold on, pause, let's see who this us is. First, the us are the ones who are already saved. They have already put their faith in Christ. Or, or if you're Calvinist, then you would believe that the us is the ones who were already chosen before the foundation of the world. But it doesn't say that. It says the faithful in Christ and what was chosen before the foundation of the world. Were we chosen to be in him? Before the foundation of the world, what was chosen? He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. This is simply talking about the election of the in him. Okay, that sounds awful Calvinist of you. Yes, what is chosen is the elect. Basically, a group, draw a circle in your mind, this is called the elect, but don't place anybody in it yet. Because he didn't choose who gets in the circle of the elect. He chose the circle. Or basically, he chose a ship. So let's, uh, let's place this ship in, in the, the sea of time. And God is the pilot of this ship. And this is salvation ship. Right? And whoever is on this ship will go to heaven. But we are lost. And that's why he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. So what did he choose he chose this this elect of people but he didn't choose who was elect he chose that the elect would be what without should be holy and without blame before him love listen this is talking about spiritual blessings not talking about salvation one of our spiritual blessings is salvation that we should be holy and without blame before him in love he hath chosen us in him, meaning he chose the in him. He chose us that are in him. So is it, did he choose us to be in him or did he cho choose us that are in him? It's important to understand that in between that we just kind of suppose according as he has chosen us to be in him before the foundation of the world or according to as he has chosen us that are in him before the foundation of the world. Well, he chose us that are in him, meaning those that put their faith in Christ, that is what is chosen before the foundation of the world. You weren't there before the foundation of the world. You weren't created yet. Who was? Jesus. Jesus was. So what was chosen before the foundation of the world? Not you. You're not there. The plan, the ship was chosen. The way of escape was chosen. Then uh, let's go on with verse five, and this ties in 
but, and so put your Calvinist lenses on to, to read this, uh, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Well, man, he just did it not only before the foundation of the world, but according to his good pleasure of his will. Well, what is the will of God? We've talked about this before in the previous one, but what is his will? For us to be saved. Right. So the good pleasure of his will, is it, if you're Calvinist, then you believe, and I don't want to tell you what you believe, but as far as what John Calvin teaches, right? Then you believe the good pleasure of his will is that some people were chosen at random, arbitrarily. They don't like the word arbitrary, but if you look at the definition of arbitrary, it is choosing people not based on anything they have done, but based on uh, um, whatever you feel like. It's arbitrary. So, so, Jonathan, just to read this verse, and so many people totally misunderstand that. They think that will of God is for God to choose the ones that he wants to be in heaven. And you, But to define the Bible, you ought to use the Bible to define it, not what you think or not what mm-hmm. you predispose. So right. here is the verse, John six forty, and this is the will of him that sent me. Okay, this is Jesus speaking. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. Again, it's their choice. Jesus is pushing them, encouraging them to choose him. The will of the Father is that people would believe on Jesus. Again, we'll get to this more, but not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is what God wants. That is the will of the Father. That's what God wants. Go ahead. Absolutely. And, and that is the, the point I wanted to make with, with that too, according to the pleasure of his will, the good pleasure of his will. His will is that everyone accept him. You say, well, man, that sounds a lot of, like a self-centered of you choosing God. And, and I'm going to get to this. But having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Understand, you right now, when you have accepted Christ, or if you have been chosen before the foundation, it, you're in Christ, right? Okay? Do you have your glorified body yet? Nope. No, we don't. We're waiting. We're longing for the adoption of our body. Uh, in fact, the ones that are already in heaven, doesn't it say that they groan waiting for the adoption of the body? And, and so they don't even have it yet. We're all waiting. So what is predestinated? Understand, pre is a prefix, but it means before. So before, destinated. That is our word that we use, destination, right? So it is a before destination. The destination was set that you that are in him will one day have your body, the adoption that we're waiting of. We don't even have that yet, but it's been predestined that we will. It's talking about our spiritual gifts. It just said that in verse verse three, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We don't get this blessing until we get to heaven in heavenly places in Christ. And when did he choose this to happen to us? Before the foundation of the world, that those in him would have, first, that they should be holy and without blame before him in love, right? Not before the world because we're still sinners in the eyes of the world, but before Christ, 
we're without blame. And then we, he predestinated us to have the adoption of a new body that this sin flesh nature we won't have anymore. Remember in Genesis when they fell, then they now have a sin nature. Before they fell, they didn't. They didn't have that yet. So we have to lose this flesh. Our flesh has to die physically. And then we get to have the adoption of our new body without the, the sinful flesh. I'm going to skip down to verse 13 and show you how you get to become into the in him. So they want to say that the in him was chosen before the foundation of the world. But understand, that wasn't chosen before the foundation of the world. What happens to the in him was chosen before the foundation of the world. In verse 13, Ephesians 1:13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. When hmm. did you trust? When did you trust? Before the foundation of the world? God God chose you? No, in whom ye trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation in whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. Understand this. God chose Jesus before the foundation of the world that he should die. And it says Christ slain before the foundation of the world because he's the only one who exists in and out of time, right? A time, linear timeline has only been set up for us, as far as we can tell. A lot of that comes into the philosophical and, and out of the Bible. So I don't even know how much we should try to get into that because then you just get into what someone would assume. But God lives out of time because Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So first, God the Father chose God the Son that he should be slain. We then choose, and, and they don't like this part, but we then choose to be in Jesus. So, for instance, I already mentioned this salvation ship, but imagine the ship is there, and Jesus is a pilot of the ship, and you are there drowning in your sin, and Jesus throws the life preserved to you. And, and let me back up real quick. They, they like to paint us in, in the idea that we are self-glorifying because we're the one choosing. Yeah. All right? So th because we're the one choosing God, choosing Jesus, then that glory is going to us and not God. But think about it like this. That ship is coming, and you are there, and you realize you're drowning. Some people don't realize it. They're comfortable in their sin. But you realize you're drowning, and this is outlined before in... in um, the one we did on total depravity, God gave us a soul that has a conscience that we can realize that we are sinners, right? Realizing that you're bad doesn't make you good. Realizing that you're drowning doesn't make you not drowning. You're still drowning, right? It doesn't make you good to realize that you're bad. So realizing that I need a savior, I'm drowning in my sin, and God throws us the life preserved. Now, if we have our Calvinist lens on, if we grab onto that life preserve, then, oh, glory to us. Look at him. Look at, wow, glory to that man for choosing that life preserve. No, there's no glory to him. It's glory to the one who pulls him in. Glory to Jesus. That's, that's where we get our glory. So 
or, or the glory comes in, right? We choose to be in Jesus by accepting the plan, the promise that he laid out for us. And it sounds like when we say we choose him that we're doing something good because they kind of put it in that light. But you're not. You're not doing anything good to get something good for yourself. So we choose him, but then the Lord ponders the heart, right? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. That's the important part. That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Lord ponders the heart and sees if you have believed in him. And then he then places you in God. Places you in the salvation ship. And I just give that, that scenario of this ship to maybe give an image to where it's a little more understandable. Not, I think it's understandable from the scripture. But somehow we get this in our mind that, oh, if I'm the one choosing God, then I'm the one doing good. No. And it's even stronger than us grabbing onto a life preserve because we don't even grab onto God. We throw our hands up and say, please save me. And he wraps that life preserve around us and pulls us in. It's more glory than, than that. God pulls us in. And it even uses the, the term pulling them out of the fire, right? How is someone ever pulled out of the fire? If we're bound for hell, right? If we're bound for hell, how do you, how do you pull some out of the fire that was never bound for hell? Because how can you be bound for hell if you were chosen before the foundation of the earth? You were never bound for hell. You're basically already on the ship. It's just in time somewhere you, quote, accept it. But did you even accept it? Because God made your mind, quickened you, as they like to put it, that you should accept him. And that's the only way God can get glory? That, that doesn't compute. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't work with the plan that he's laid out. Listen, go back to Genesis. Look in the garden. God didn't give them one tree. He gave them two trees. Why did he give them two trees? Uh, let me go to a quote from John Calvin. Um, because people want to say that, no, we don't believe in um, determinism, that God determines every decision that man does, right? That, that God, we can choose our decisions, we just can't choose spiritual decisions, right? Um, John Calvin, this is a quote from John Calvin. Look this stuff up, all right? And then question yourself if you even are Calvinist, right? Right. Men do nothing save the secret instigation of God and do not discuss and deliberate on anything but what he has previously decreed with himself and brings to pass by his secret direction. So according to this, you and I can't even have this conversation except it says, and do not discuss and deliberate on anything but he has previously decreed with himself. So we can't even have this conversation about or against Calvinism except that he decreed us to. If... If Calvinism is true, then why would he decree us then to deliberate against it? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand. But according to this, you can't do anything save the secret instigation of God, meaning God decreed that you would. Um, 
It's not just one. It's, it's multiple, multiple quotes. Um, let me get to this. Uh, if God controls the purposes of men and turns their thoughts and exertions to whatever purpose he pleases, men do not therefore cease to form plans and to engage in this or the other undertaking. We must not suppose that there is a violent compulsion as if God dragged them against their will, but in a wonderful and inconceivable manner, he regulates all the movements of men so they are still have the exercise of their will. He's, he's saying they still regulate, God still regulates their will. That they, Okay, they think it's theirs, but it's not really theirs. God is controlling all of it. They don't this have part, a choice. This is John Calvin again. Another right. quote from John Calvin. They don't have a choice. God regulates their will. God tells them what to do, right. and they think it's them. But God is determinate. But it's John Calvin. And John is determinate that all of their thoughts are coming from God making them do this. That's right. what John Calvin believes. Right. And and this this statement right here is is a bit uh, um, contradictive to many of his other statements that it says, but in a wonderful and inconceivable manner, he regulates all the movements of men so they still have the exercise of their will. Wait, what? Like a wonderful and inconceivable manner, he regulates all the movement of men so they still have the exercise of their will. He regulates it, but they still have exercise of their will? I don't, I don't understand. How does that work? Yeah. That, that seems contradictory of itself. Um. This one right here I wanted to get to because this is before it all. This quote right here is at the beginning uh, as far as the Bible goes. The first man fell. This is the quote. The first man fell because the Lord deemed it meet that he should. Why he deemed it meet, we know not. Man therefore falls, divine province so ordaining, but he falls by his own fault. So somehow... Even though God decreed it meet, right? He deemed it meet that he should do this. God caused the first man to fall. He still falls by his own fault. How is it Adam's fault if God made him do it? And then why would God make him do something he commanded him not to do? Why would God deem him, deem it meet that he should? And then why did God give them two trees? Understand, you have the tree of life. He never commanded that they shouldn't eat that. And then you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And two trees means you have options, a choice. God gave them a choice from the beginning. If it hadn't been for Satan that deceived them, would they have ever chosen the tree? God didn't do it. But Satan did it. We have another part in the Bible where God allows Satan to tempt somebody, Job, and Job doesn't fall for it. And Job even has the sinful nature, whereas Adam and Eve didn't. But God had Satan or allowed Satan to go do all that he did to Job, and Job didn't curse God and die, right? The first man fell because the Lord deemed it meet that he should. How does that work? What about their choice? He gave them a choice in the beginning. God saw, he created these beings, right? And it seems that, I mean, we can't tell the, the, the span of time in this chapter, but he created them. They're in the garden. Adam walks and talks with the Lord, right? And then they fall. 
They don't even have children yet. But it was the plan that they would have children, that they would, um, but they didn't even get to that. Satan deceived them right away, or deceived Eve and Adam sinned, and then we now have this sin nature. We've gone through this in, in the first one on total depravity or total or the conclusion that they come up with a total inability. But how do you think that this follows the Bible? That God planned first that he created this world, this incredible world. And then he planned to put man here. Then he also gave them trees and says, don't eat of this one. Then while simultaneously working in man's mind to make him eat of that tree and then tell him, now that you did this, there's punishment for it. And now not only Adam, but no person has a choice after this. Yeah. You You are all doomed for hell except the ones that I chose before the foundation of the world to also accept me. Yeah. That is basically what it comes down to. And here should be the question that you should be asking yourself right now. Am I really a Calvinist? (laughs) Is this really what I believe? Is this really what I want to hang my hat on? Um, When you say, talk about no logic, no sense, no biblical understanding, and you want to honor God, but then you say things like this about God? I'm sorry, that is no honor uh, at all. And like we talked about before, so much you can see and learn by Genesis. If this is, if Calvinism is it, you would see it by Genesis, and uh, absolutely not, you don't. Pretty amazing. So here we have this plan that is laid out, and this is what it's talking about in, in Ephesians when it talks about uh, the spiritual blessings. God, you can't surprise God, right? Yes, in his foreknowledge, he can know what someone's going to do, but that doesn't mean he determined it. That doesn't mean he caused it to happen. He allows it to happen with giving people the free will. I, I thought of an illustration the other day. If... If I create it in, the, in this world today, we understand uh, this thing of uh, this new thing of AI, artificial intelligence, right? So it's the, the closest thing I can, I can think of to man creating something that can operate on its own. So man created this AI, right? But he created AI w- with, and they, they want to say their AI operates on its own, that it can do its own thing. He created AI, same as God created us. And I know this is a, a, a earthly parallel to something that is different. But, and then somebody got a hold of this AI and entered a virus, right? And they, this virus spread into this AI. And now every, um, this AI that is now creating new beings of AI and replicating that virus into each of them. The creator of that, did he intend for that corruption to be in there? No, he no. created that AI, and he, he, or he created us, and he loved us, right? Why then would he only choose some of them to, to have a redemption plan? That, that within this AI, he's like, well, I only want some of them to come back to me, so I set up a plan, and I... I have this uh, this reversal to this this malware to this virus, and I'm going to give it to some and not give it to some. 
Why? Oh, because of my glory. It, it glorifies me. It glorifies you how? Why don't you do it? Why don't you give the opportunity for all of them to choose? Well, it, it, it's secret. It's the, the secret uh, instigation of, of me. It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute with the plan. The overall understanding of the Bible is that God, Satan has been trying from the beginning to mess everything up that God has done. And God has shown over and over and over again that he's got a plan and a way out that we may be able to escape. Um, it's amazing. And you'd mentioned, we talked about earlier, how Calvin didn't even understand it. Right. It's, it's still a secret because it doesn't make sense to him either. Um, and it definitely is not biblical and does not make sense to us. Right. And, and I was telling a friend the other day um, that leans more Calvinist. Um, and I said, I believe with what we're talking about, if R.C. Sproul heard this, he wouldn't have been become Calvinist. And, and he said, that's a tall order. And I was like, I, I want to back up from that. Yes, that's a tall order. I can't say that he would have, but think about it. At 19, when R.C. Sproul is in seminary and he's struggling right. with this, this unconditional election or sovereign election, as they like to put it, and he's like, this doesn't make sense. How could a loving God only love some of us, but simultaneously love the world, but only want some of us to come back to him? How does, how does that work if he had seen that, listen, yeah. you have a body, soul, and spirit. Yes, in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. Your spirit is dead, but your soul has a conscience because you yeah. ate the fruit. Through Adam, you have the fruit of what? The tree of knowledge of good and evil meaning you have the ability to understand and have a conscience. Now I want to get to this next passage and say, and it will tie all of this together. We're going to go to Romans. Romans in chapter 1. And understand, this basically puts everything on God. By the way, they say this. Think about it. If God is the one causing it to happen, can you imagine getting to heaven and saying, God, God says, why didn't you believe in me? Why didn't you accept me? And they just say, you never allowed me to. You didn't give me the capacity to accept you. That looks like to me the biggest excuse anybody could ever have as a reason why not. Why not to be guilty? How can you be guilty of something you never had a choice in? It doesn't make sense. So we'll go to, we'll go to Romans and... Um, Romans, uh, let's start in one sixteen. It says, um, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Pull this over. Um, unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now I was deliberating over this and, and looking in the Bible. And, and um, But this end of this verse, it says the just shall live by faith. Does that mean the just, like if we are just, then we're going to live by faith? Or does that mean that in order to live, meaning eternally, you have to put faith in Christ? So the just shall live, why? Because of faith, by faith. So the just shall live by faith. This is talking about salvation. Is that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So the just shall live. How are they going to live? By faith, because they put their faith in God. And then verse 18 of chapter 1, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, it says who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What is unrighteous? Oftentimes in the Bible, it will equate righteous. Someone is righteous, but that doesn't mean they, they were righteous in their life, but they were righteous because God's righteousness was imputed on them. For right. instance, think about, think about Lot. Do we see anything righteous he ever did? But he is then called righteous. Why is he called righteous? Because he put his faith in God, and therefore Jesus is, and God's righteousness is then imputed on his record. So if you hold to the truth in unrighteousness, meaning the Jews that are not accepting the gift of salvation, they're trying to work for it through all of what they're doing. So for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, the works that we're trying to do. The Bible says our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness is unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Listen, this is talking about the unrighteous. What did God do? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. It's shown in them. It's brought forth in them. For God hath showed it unto them. God showed who he is and what he is in the unrighteousness. It's manifest in them. And then it says in verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal powerhead and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We are then without excuse because of why. Why are we without excuse? It says we're without excuse because of what? Because God made it manifest in them. He manifested it in them and he showed it unto them. And then it says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. The Bible says that if we won't proclaim him, if we won't witness, that he'll cause the rocks to cry out. And it says being understood by the things that are made. The more science progresses, it points to God. The more we understand, the more we realize there has to be a creator. There has to be some higher power that created all this. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. If God determined that some should go to heaven and some should go to hell, the ones determined to go to hell had the biggest excuse in saying, it was never my choice. You never gave me the option. And we don't believe in the um, faith, the foresight faith perspective that God looks down the tunnel of time and sees that you would trust in him or you wouldn't, so he chooses you, right? That's not the position that Calvinists hold either. They, they believe that God chose them before the foundation of the world. So in this, it says um, – that they are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? How does he make them without excuse? And I just, I just went over this. 
um, God showed it to them. In verse 19 yeah. and verse 20, he shows it so much. And who is he showing this to? This is not to the saved. He's showing this to the unsaved, to the unrighteous. He says, this right here, this is why they're without excuse. So that they're without excuse. No one will get to heaven and say, you just never gave me the opportunity. And, and then it goes further down. It says, because that, when they knew God, you mean the unrighteous, the ones that aren't saved can know God? When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Think about the, the intellectual atheists today that, that just say there's no God. God showed him over and over and over again that who he is in all the things he created. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So they created idols. They created other things to worship. He gave them, look who I am. I created you, and I want you to accept me. And he made it evident in them, and they rejected it. So what did God then do? Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And now I want to point back to what we talked about in the first part of this point. It shows this with, with Pharaoh. Think about this. Apply this right here. God showed himself to the Egyptians of who he was, how powerful he was, and how did he do it? Through the things that were made, through all of the glory of God, through the Jews. God showed himself to them, and when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And they changed the uncorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man. Think about the, the Egyptians. What did they do? They worshipped things that were not God. And God said, I showed my glory to you, and you rejected me. So then what did I do? He gave them up to the uncleanness of their own lusts. God gave them the capacity to accept him, and they rejected him. So therefore, it's not up to him anymore. He just says that I will give them up to their own lust. He doesn't say that he gave them up even to Satan. He gave them up to their own heart, to their own choosing. God has given a measure of faith to every human being. Those who take that measure of faith and put it into Jesus and accept him as Savior, he then chooses them to be the elect. This is when he places them in him. He chooses them to be the elect, chosen, or the ones in him. Therefore, God has predestinated the elect, the in him, to be saved from eternal death and hell. When did he predestinate the elect? He predestinated them before the foundation of the world, but he did not predestinate who is in the elect or in him. He predestinated the elect, and whoever is in him is then elect, right? It's not circular at all. It makes complete sense. But you weren't created before the foundation of the world. God was. So what did he create? He created this elect, this chosen, this in him, and those who accept God, accept Jesus' uh, payment of salvation, then those will be saved from eternal death and hell. 
Um, both, I say us, us of um, this side of it, that, that believe this part of the Bible the way we do, um, however to classify us within, with a name, both sides, Calvinism and us, believe in the elect or chosen. But we disagree on how you become into the elect or chosen. And in fact, both sides also agree that God is the one who places in places you in the elect, but we disagree on who and when and how they are chosen. God chooses us when we accept. He does not force you. He Amen. is not forcing someone against their will. And, and Calvinists will say that, and it's something they, they say, and it, this is what's called compatibilism, is that, no, 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 yes, you accept God, but it's first because he quickened you and made your, your heart and mind able to choose him, right? And so it's basically you can decide what you're going to do, but you can't decide what you're going to decide. And that's compatibilism. It's not that way. Go back, if you didn't get it in the first point, go back and understand we're a three-part being. And God, that faith or that conscience or however you want to say it is given to us in our soul. And we have that. And when we sear it, then God says they're without excuse. I gave this to them and they rejected me. Therefore, it's not on me. I gave them every opportunity and they put their faith and trust into the Nile. They put their faith and trust into the Son, God. They put their faith and trust, and they sacrifice their children, and they do all these things when I showed them plainly who I am all throughout the Bible. And when you reject it, you're without excuse. That is how someone is liable for their own actions. Otherwise, God would be liable for your actions. Think about the pedophile or the rapist or, or whatever. If God is the one determining the actions of a person— mm. And that's what Calvinism says, right? If you, if you say, no, I don't believe he, he determines all our actions. He just lets us choose the, the, the spiritual ones. That's not what Calvinism says. So if you don't believe that, then you're not Calvinist like you think you are. But if God is the one choosing that, then how could you ever be liable for it? You didn't do it. It's like, why did you do that to that person? Well, God determined that I would. God is the one who put it into my head for me to be like that in the first place. How does that work? Mm-hmm. Um, so both, both of us believe in the elect. Both of us believe in the, this chosen. But when do you become an elect? You become into the elect when you accept it. You say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you because I can't do this. I'm drowning in my sin. And he then picks you up and he places you into the chosen. You don't have any glory for realizing that you're a sinner. When you realize, you ever seen a, a, a psychopath or someone that, that they're like, I don't see anything wrong with you know, killing these people. When they realize when their conscience is there, if they were to realize that, oh, that was bad, does that make them good? No, it doesn't make them good just realizes how bad they are. When you realize how bad you are and realize you need a savior and you accept the payment that our savior has given us, he then places you in him 
the elect, the chosen. And then the spiritual blessings of Ephesians are given to us. Um, and uh, an, an, another thought uh, on this, if you uh, look at um, 1 Chronicles uh, 15, when David uh, realizes that he they can't take the ark themselves. And he says, then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God, but the Levites for them. He hath, he hath, excuse me, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark and to minister unto him forever. So he chose the Levites. So then a Levite could then say, I was chosen before this kingdom was ever created before Saul. I was chosen to carry the ark. Well, technically, but you weren't alive then. So what was chosen? The Levites were chosen. And when you are a Levite, then you are chosen. And that's the same as far as us as being in him. You specifically aren't chosen because you weren't there. But what was chosen? That people. And the people are the ones that are in him. So does that make sense? Does that all fit together? Do you understand that if we believe in the Calvinist side, and if you want to stick with that, then you have to understand that then God would re be responsible for the sin that happens in this earth because he's the one who put it there. He didn't put it there. He didn't put it there. Satan deceived man. Man chose to do it. Now sin entered into the world. God didn't put sin there. And you say, well, God allowed it to happen. Right, because of a what? Free will. Absolutely. Exactly. You can choose, and you can that still is. choose today. So this point, we're going to close it up on this. So it is um, the, the unconditional election that uh, uh, people are elect, and it's unconditional. Eeny, meeny, money, mo. I choose you, I don't choose you. I choose you, I don't choose you. Um, and in the words of John Calvin, it's not just the choice. Uh, it's not just who's elect going to be in him or who's going to go to heaven. It's he is also choosing what we do and our actions. And so, boy, that blames it all on God. But when God says you will be without excuse, that means all of us had a choice. If you never had a choice, then how in the world can you be without excuse if you were never given a choice? We're all given a choice, and um, that's great. All right, we will uh, pick up here. We usually, we're doing this every other week, and so um, uh, next will be limited atonement, okay? The L, limited atonement. That the atonement is only limited. It's not for everyone. And so uh, we'll talk about all that. We'll look forward to it. If you have a question, feel free, email us um, at, I know the outro gives the uh, email too, but the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. If you've got a question about this or something that didn't make sense, feel free. We'll do our best to try to clarify it in the next one. So, Jonathan, thank you for taking the time to uh, be here and uh, we'll see you next time god bless and take care thank you for listening to the fundamental baptist podcast if you have any questions you can email us at the fundamental baptist podcast at gmail.com